Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year, we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, we've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com. It's time for Midday Edition on KPBS. Today we are talking about San Diego food and culture. I'm Jade Hindman with conversations that keep you informed, inspired, and make you think. Restaurants who use the popular phrase Taco Tuesday could face legal challenges. If a restaurant uses Taco Tuesday to promote something, Taco John's can and has sends them a cease and desist letter. Plus, we talk to one local chef who's putting a creative spin on tacos, and we explore the diverse cultures lifting San Diego's food scene into the spotlight. That's ahead on Midday Edition. Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year, we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, We've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com. Here in San Diego especially, you're not likely far from a bar or humble taqueria that celebrates everyone's favorite holiday. I'm talking, of course, about Taco Tuesday. But as you may or may not be aware, there's a bit of a legal drama surrounding the actual wording of the much-beloved catchphrase. In fact, the actual trademark for the phrase Taco Tuesday has belonged to Wyoming-based chain Taco John's in 49 states since 1989. And now fast food giant Taco Bell is spearheading the fight to free this trademark with a series of rather pointed commercials. Take a listen. You know what it is. It's Taco. Why did I get bleeped? Because this is a commercial and there's a trademark on Taco. I mean, how could someone own Taco? Come on, man. Everyone should be able to say and celebrate Taco. 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 What are we doing? Thankfully, someone is doing something about it. No more trademark, no more bleeping, starting right now. Taco Tuesday! (laughs) If that voice sounds familiar to you, that's because it belongs to NBA superstar LeBron James. Uh, If you're a little confused, 
Uh, we're going to explain it to you. And here with more on this bizarre saga is Gustavo Ariano. He's an author and columnist for the LA Times. Gustavo, welcome back to the show. Gracias for having me again. Yes. So first things first, how can someone own the trademark to such a ubiquitous phrase? There's got to be a thousand restaurants in San Diego alone that celebrate Taco Tuesday. The fact is anyone can make a petition with the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office to try to trademark anything, anything, any phrase, whatever it may be. I mean, infamously, Ohio State University actually got a trademark on the because they call themselves the Ohio State University. You just have to make a good enough argument and you have to dupe the, you know, a bureaucrat to make you think that, no, you created something that's already out there. So that's exactly what happened with Taco Tuesday. Uh, Taco John's was the. company in 49 states smart enough to be able to do it. And then there was a a restaurant in New Jersey that had been doing it since 1982. But the both of the companies together said, all right, we'll just hold the trademark on Taco Tuesday. And we'll just send cease and desist letters to anyone who dares use it without our permission. You know, I've got to be honest with you, I've never even seen a Taco John's in California. Does the company actually operate in every state they possess the trademark in? Oh, absolutely not. So Taco John's, it's around 400 Outpost. So it's nowhere near Taco Bell, which has what, 7,000 across the world, but still, it's not a mom and pop operation as well. It has been over 400, and they focus specifically on the upper Midwest. So we're talking about North Dakota, South Dakota, Idaho, uh, Colorado, I believe. Once you start going to New Mexico, that's already too south. Once you start going, it's not in Nevada because that would be too west. So they're very focused on that. And like I said before, I can't imagine how many local restaurants run a Taco Tuesday promotion. Wouldn't they be in copyright violation, though? Yeah, no, absolutely. So if a restaurant uses Taco Tuesday to promote something, Taco John's can and has sends them a cease and desist letter. Now, they are saying, oh, well, we've never actually sued a restaurant, so we're not the bad guys here. But come on, you're a mom and pop place. You're just trying to sell tacos on a Tuesday. This is something that in my search, I've discovered that restaurants, not even exclusively Mexican restaurants, by the way, but restaurants in the United States have been offering taco specials on Tuesdays since at least the 1930s, which is around the time when tacos started to become popular in the United States. And restaurants have been using that phrase, Taco Tuesday, since at least the early 1970s and way before Taco John's has ever uh, claimed that they ever started to use it. And so, yeah, they have every right, though, since they own the trademark to make these, uh, you know, cease and desist letters. And that's a headache for any any restaurant who wants to uh, be in business, you know. So, I mean, does Taco John's, do they feel like they're in the right here? Of course. They they delusionally think that when people say Taco Tuesday, they associate it with Taco John's, which makes no sense whatsoever. It's it's one of those things. And I know there's a legal term for it, but it's like at this point, even if even though, again, they do own the trademark to Taco Tuesday, but it's become part of the American lexicon. Kind of like when you photocopy something, people still say you Xerox something, even though Xerox is technically a trademark. Or I remember one time I wrote, uh, I was describing the vivid colors of something. So I said it was like a Technicolor tapestry. And we got a letter from the people who still own the right to uh, Technicolor saying, hey, this is an officially trademark, uh, you know, trademark of blah, blah, blah. Don't use that again. And I also got in trouble once for Bondo, like in Me- in Mexican Spanish, Spanish, when you want or even just in, in English, like when you want to put 
something together, like put uh, with a car trying to fix something up a patch, you'll say, oh, I'm going to bondo it. Well, Bondo is a trademark because it's an actual product. And so Taco John's is desperately trying to say, well, people still associate Taco Tuesday with us. Folks, uh, They never, no one ever associated Taco Tuesday with Taco John's ever. You're listening to KPBS Midday Edition, and we're talking about the ongoing trademark drama surrounding the Taco Tuesday catchphrase with author and columnist Gustavo Ariano. Um, let's take a step back here and acknowledge that Taco Bell, a massive multinational corporation, is taking the fight to Taco John's here. Uh, Taco Bell isn't exactly the underdog in this fight. So can you talk a little more about your thoughts on that? Yeah, Taco Bell, again, is a multi-billion dollar company. In my book, I did give them credit for uh, being a gateway, so to speak, for Americans who taste their tacos first and then realize, oh, there's way better out there. I'm not a fan of Taco Bell because I don't think their food's that good. And it's not a chain thing, by the way. I love Del Taco. Del Taco, of course, the grand competitor in Southern California. And Taco Bell, I feel their uh, food is too salty. But in this case, they've always been very savvy about uh, about marketing themselves, the, the infamous Taco Bell Chihuahua dog of the late 90s and early 2000s. Even before then, uh, Taco Bell did an April Fool's joke saying that they had bought the Liberty Bell, uh, you know, the Liberty Bell out in Philadelphia, which angered so many people. So in this case, though, a great opportunity to um, make themselves seem a little bit better to the likes of people like myself, myself who have called them out for uh now, also, they have their own origin story that they have masked uh, with Glenn Bell in his biography, Taco Titan, the Glenn Bell story. He admitted that he uh, got his idea for selling tacos from a restaurant in San Bernardino, but didn't name it. The name of the restaurant is Meat La Cafe. And so Taco Bell has never really and now they do acknowledge that time they didn't do it. So they just want to buttress their reputation. But again, they're doing the right thing. And nowhere in a million years would they ever think, OK, and they're not asking, by the way, to get the Taco tra uh, the taco Tuesday trademark. They're just saying they're trying to invalidate it from Taco John's, and they have vowed that they're not going to try to make a petition to try to trademark it for themselves. Okay, and so LeBron James, who we heard in the Taco Bell commercial a little earlier, uh, also tried to trademark Taco Tuesday in the past. I mean, because why not, right? <laughs> well, he became famous on Instagram because he loves to eat tacos on Tuesday, with his children, usually at home. So he got this whole get up and, you know, the audience, of course, uh, for the Taco Bell commercial, they bleeped it Tuesday, but he goes, Taco Tuesday, which I appreciate it. But then he goes sometimes like, ay, 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 like just these stereotypical things, which that to me wasn't cool. I'm a Lakers fan, though, so I love LeBron. Um, and he tried to trademark it in 2019. So I wrote about it at the time as well, saying like, all right, LeBron, like, what are you doing? But if you're trying to fight Taco, you know, if you're trying to fight Taco John's on that, I support you. But the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office, you want to talk about irony. He wanted to trademark it for the possibility of using on social media platforms or gosh, God knows what he wanted. But the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office, they rejected his application for a trademark, not because Taco John's already owned a trademark to it, but because they said the phrase was already in such such wide usage, it would be ridiculous to try to trademark it. So the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office is already saying Taco Tuesday is used so much that there shouldn't be any trademarks on it, but yet they haven't yet tried to invalidate Taco John's thing. So the the, un, un, the unity of LeBron James with well, I think it's a winning combination. It's sure better winning combination than what the Lakers were this season. <laughs> 
<laughs> there we <All> go. Right. <laughs> Run it back for me again, though. When did Taco John's trademark this? 1989. And they 89. said in their trademark petition that the, they first used it in 1979. In your column, you write that actually trademarking such a common phrase is something of a Trumpian move. Uh, what do you mean by that? Specifically, what I meant was for Taco John's is that they and and by the way, with Mexican food, there's so many origin stories. And there's actually a film about one of the most famous or, or supposed origin stories, the origin of Flaming Hot Cheetos. Here you had a, a former janitor turned Frito-Lay executive, Richard Montañez, saying that he was a person who invented Flaming Hot Cheetos. Well, my colleague at the LA Times, Sam, Sam Dean, actually uh, researched and cast a lot of doubt on him. That's putting it very, very lightly to Montañez's claims. But Montañez has not backed down. Eva Longoria, who directed this film, Flaming Hot, has not backed down. Even though Frito-Lay themselves have kind of backed off off of this. So what you have with both Taco John's and Richard Montañez is people have created this myth about their, you know, something that they're associated with. When they get called out and shown evidence that huge doubt on their own myths, they double down and then they start fighting and uh, labeling the people who are criticizing them with the facts as haters, as other things as well. So who does that? Who still does that a lot and who did that a lot during their administration? Donald Trump. All right. This isn't the first time Taco John's has been pressured to cancel its trademark, though, is it? There's been petitions over the years to try to trademark Taco Tuesday, Taco John's has swatted them all. And also Taco John's has gone after people who've done that. So there was a case, and I'm not too familiar with it, but here in Southern California, there was a restaurant in uh, Laguna Beach in Orange County. There was a restaurant called Tortilla Flats. And Tortilla Flats, according to them, they had filed a trademark only in California, which I don't know how that works out, for Taco Tuesday. Taco John's, they find out about this. This isn't days before the internet, which is just the mid-1990s. Tor Tortilla Flats had to lose their trademark on Taco Tuesday. So Taco John's has been successful in the past in defending it, at least on the patent trademark office. Taco John's, in a way, it is a David against a Goliath that is Taco Bell. But sometimes, you know, you have to root for Goliath. You can't always root for David. David sometimes is a jerk. <laughs> All right. You eat out quite a bit. What do the local taco shop owners and restaurants think about all this? Need I ask? <laughs> a lot of them don't even know about it. So I went to that my wife and I go to a lot here in Santana. Chapter one, the modern bistro. Now it's mostly pub food, but they've had they sell great tacos. So we usually go on Tuesday. So I asked the owner, Jeff Jarvis, I'm like, hey, what do you think about uh, Taco Bell's fight to uh, uh, eliminate the trademark for Taco Tuesday? He's like, wait. Taco Tuesday is trademark. I'm like, uh-huh. And you can see what, you know, I talked about in my column, his eyes were just so bewildered, his face. And then he started joking and laughing and thinking like, how ridiculous is it for someone to try to trademark Taco Tuesday? And he's been running his his special on Tuesdays as Taco Tuesday for about 11 years. So uh, I would tell, you know, it, it's ridiculous. Anyone who you tell to is ridiculous. Uh, th they think it's ridiculous. On the other hand, those who have had cease and desist letters sent to them, they don't think it's ridiculous. They think it's uh, a joke, a just absolute joke. And they like Taco John's. If there's fanboys out there of Taco John's, I would like to meet them because I would like to tell them what on earth are you thinking? And let me let me send you to Taco Bell, which has better food than Taco John's. But that's not saying much. All right. So as you said earlier, sometimes David is a jerk. Right. OK, so yeah. 
how do you think all this is going to play out? Do you think the combined might of Taco Bell and LeBron James will free the Taco Tuesday trademark once and for all? You never know when it comes to the patent and trademark office. But again, I think given that LeBron's petition to get his own trademark on Taco Tuesday was rejected because the patent and trademark office said it's already a phrase in general use. I think that bodes very badly for Taco John's. And so, of course, this is a petition. This is going to take a couple of years to um to figure out. So maybe we come back in two years and we talk about what's going on or hopefully it'll come earlier. You never know when it comes to the patent trademark office. I've been speaking with Gustavo Ariano, an author and columnist for the LA Times. Gustavo, it was really great talking to you. Gracias. We'd love to hear your thoughts about Taco Tuesday. Should one restaurant be able to own the phrase? Give us a call, 619-452-0228. You can leave a message or you can email us at midday at kpbs.org. Coming up, a local chef is putting a creative spin on tacos. Authenticity is your base. That's your starting point. But like all cuisines around the world, they, they continue to evolve. Food is always changing. You're listening to KPBS Midday Edition. Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year, we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, We've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com. Welcome back. You're listening to KPBS Midday Edition. I'm Jade Hindman. In our last segment, we explored the bizarre legal drama surrounding the trademark for the Taco Tuesday catchphrase. But our next guest built an entire career around tacos in a city already famous for them. Jerry Torres, founder of City Tacos, has expanded his iconic North Park taco joint to locations around the county. He joins us now to talk about his journey in San Diego's food scene, Jerry, great to have you. Glad to be here. So, you know, our last guest explained some of the legal drama surrounding the phrase Taco Tuesday. Were you even aware that Taco Tuesday is a licensed trademark? I wasn't aware that was a registered uh, trademark, but I guess it's a smart idea. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I guess you're right about that. Do you ever use the phrase in your business? Uh, well, you know, Taco Tuesdays are pretty big here in San Diego. I think it's uh, kind of like a national holiday here in San Diego every Tuesday. Uh, I would say that our sales jump up maybe by 40, 50 percent from uh, Monday or a Wednesday just because mm. it's Tuesday. So, you know, City Tacos, uh, your restaurant, it's been a fixture here in San Diego's food scene for like a decade. Uh, can you talk about why you wanted to get into the restaurant business? 
Uh, well, I've been in the business pretty much all my life. I started at a sandwich shop over, over in Oceanside at uh, the tender age of 16 or so. And uh, I really enjoyed uh, the hospita hospitality industry. That love for the industry kind of grew into basically filling every position within the industry. I mean, I did uh, room service uh, over in Hawaii. I did bar back bartender, manager, waiter, busboy, uh, you name it front of the house, pretty much done it. You know, and San Diego has always been a destination for good tacos. First, why do you think that is? Uh, well, we're very close to Tijuana, and I think it's a bicultural uh, bicultural city. There, there's a tremendous influence from both sides of the border, and most San Diegans have been across the border and have had uh, tacos there prior to there being tacos here in San Diego as we know them today. I think that the taco movement or taco revolution here in San Diego started somewhere around, I would say, 12 to 13 years ago. I believe that the El Gordo kind of opened up uh, that channel uh, for traditional taquerias. But prior to that, there were taco shops. And the taco shops were Americanized versions of the taco concept, but not necessarily a taco per se. I grew up in the Midwest and spent many years working in the Southeast. Uh, anytime you order a taco in those parts of the country, it's a tortilla stuffed with ground beef, lettuce, tomato, kind of like a burger, uh, then deep fried and smothered with cheese and half a tub of sour cream. I mean, do you even consider that a taco? Uh, well, you, you know, it's, it's a different type of taco. If it's within a tortilla, I guess it, it is a taco, but it's, it's more of an Americanized version of a taco. And, and I think that uh, Taco Bell, for example, that's, that, that's what they do. You know, they, or at least that's what they did back then. And that's what made them famous. Um, I think that those particular tacos were created for speed, for profits, for uh, ease in preparation, and not necessarily for taste and quality. Um, so they have definitely evolved over the years. And, and now you actually see uh, the, the taquero in action and you see things happening right before your eyes. We're, we're a little bit different uh, with what we do. We actually aim to elevate the taco. Uh, both uh, the chef and I were from Mexico City and we grew up around tacos and we have a deep love for them. Uh, so much in fact that uh, instead of doing traditional tacos. We, we have traditional tacos on the menu, but we, we try to create tacos uh, and have been creating tacos every month for the last nine years. So there's maybe 200 tacos that we've created and brought into the market. Why do you think tacos are so universally loved? Well, I, I think it's because they, they, they bring value, they bring convenience, they bring, bring freshness. And nowadays, they, they, they can actually bring a little bit more. Like my latest concept, I'm, I'm making a, a giant playground for families to enjoy their tacos and beer and, and bring in their favorite pets and, you know, enhance the experience even if uh, we can by a little bit. You're listening to Midday Edition here on KPBS. I'm talking with San Diego chef and restaurateur Jerry Torres, founder of City Tacos. And Jerry, authenticity is something that always comes up when we talk about food. Do you think that's important or do you find any value in these creative variations of what a taco is? 
Well, I, I think that authenticity is your base. That's your starting point. But like all cuisines around the world, they, they continue to evolve to incorporate uh, global uh, techniques, global trends. Uh, food is always changing. You know, what used to be good for you is no longer. Uh, the diets change, uh, you know, from one day to the next. And you, you have to be able to adapt and you have to be able to also uh, enhance. You know, if every burger was the same, what would make you go to another burger place? Nothing really at the end of the day. You know, it's it, 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 so you, you have to have a little extra something. You have to always continue to improve your product or improve your craft so that uh, people crave it. You know, uh, that in mind, I wanted to get your thoughts on a recent taco craze. Uh, it seems like overnight, the entire country became obsessed with queso beef barilla tacos. These are those cheesy, crispy beef tacos that you can find in just about every taco spot now. What are your thoughts on these kinds of trends? Well, they're quesibirrias. Uh, we, we don't necessarily have quesibirrias in, in Guadalajara. Birria comes from Guadalajara, Jalisco. Uh, it, it's more of an Americanized combination of a quesadilla and a birria taco. Um, but they are delicious, and I have carried them uh, in city tacos. I don't know if I currently have them in the menu. I believe I do. There's about 15 to 20 tacos on our menu, so I, I don't remember each and every one of them. But... Uh, it, it's great. I think it enhances the product. I think it gives it a nice creaminess. And if the beauty is done well, it can be delicious. At one point, San Diego was only known as a taco city, but it seems in recent years, it's really grown in stature. So what's it like to be a chef in a city that's starting to get so much recognition for its food scene? I think San Diego has always had great food. I think that's uh, over the last uh, 15 to 20 years, it has definitely improved. And big name chefs like Brian Malarkey or Sam the Cooking Guy have uh, really uh, put it on the map, if you will. Um, but there's always been great food here in San Diego. And uh, we, we are so close to the coast and fresh seafood. And we're close to Mexico and, and that Latin influence. And, and San Diego is a tourist destination. Uh, and let's not forget, you know, America is a, a melting pot. So th th there are so many taste buds to to, uh, to cater to and to, you know, excite. Uh, so San Diego is, is blessed in so many ways. And our proximity to the ocean, like you mentioned, uh, you know, garners a lot of fresh seafood. We're also close to the border. I mean, what are some things about San Diego that you feel makes it such a great food city? Well, I, I think that uh, chefs are willing to push the envelope. They're willing to play with food. Um, I think that uh, the average diner is uh, more interested in you know, having that diversity and having that next great bite than perhaps uh, other communities around uh, the states um, because they've been introduced to different things uh, and the more that you change things, the more that you push that envelope, the more that people are going to respond to that and really crave it. When you're not eating some of your own food, what are some of your favorite places in San Diego to grab a bite to eat? Well, you know, Chef Travis Kidward uh, over at Cali, uh, that is amazing. Uh, I've been dining there since they opened. Uh, I believe I've been there maybe like 10 times and I, I don't get bored of it. I find his food to be uh, fresh, you know, innovative, uh, 
refreshing. Uh, I also like Animaya uh, from uh, Malarkey. I, I like traditional places like the TJ Oyster Bar. They, they, they make a great uh, smoked tuna taco. Um, I like marisco places. Uh, basically, uh, anything that's, that, that it's hot and people tell me it's good, I'm going to go try it. My wife uh, kind of yells at me because she says that I spent a fortune on food, but you know, that's what I love. And you are expanding here in San Diego and experimenting with a with something a little different, and, and I'd love to hear about that. Well, uh, yes, we have uh, six locations here in San Diego. We're also at uh, the USC Village at USC Campus over in Los Angeles. Uh, we are adding a new location to our San Diego County locations, which is going to be opening up at 4896 Voltaire Street in Ocean Beach. I actually lived many years in Ocean Beach, and I love the community. And uh, it, I actually had a restaurant planned for this community about four years ago, and it fell through, and I was so saddened. But finally, we got the opportunity to lease this great corner space, and when I looked at it, I, I saw it as an opportunity to do everything that I've always wanted to do within a space, but didn't have the space to do it. So uh, basically, I uh, covered uh, all of the ground with AstroTurf and uh, have a playful areas, uh, whether it's with separate merchants like uh, coffee, uh, a coffee operation by Mike Has Brewing, or my new little venture, which is The Crib. The Crib is a, a collaborative retail incubation biz. So basically out of a 1972 uh, combi van, I'm going to have a storefront for artisans and merchants to have uh, a taste of retail at an affordable price. I intend to rent it out for $20 a day for all of those who want to sell to uh, public uh, in a... Uh, actual storefront. Uh, there's also going to be a little doggy park within the space. I just uh, purchased uh, the uh, the fitness equipment for the dogs. There's a, a double jump, uh, a loop jump. Uh, there's uh, some staircases. There's like a little a tunnel that they go through. And of course, the fire hydrant. I've been buying a lot of games uh, like uh, Giant Connect 4, Giant Jenga, Giant Chess, Giant Checkers. Uh, and this is kind of uh, my effort to turn back the clock. I have a 13-year-old uh, son who uh, is glued to the computer and I can't understand it. I mean, I, I grew up uh, in the age of computers, I think, you know, the Commodore 64 and, and the floppies and all of that. But we didn't really pay so much attention to it. And I, I wish my son didn't. So I'm creating a space to maybe alleviate uh, some other parents' concerns and uh, create a little bit more of that bonding experience, bonding environment. Jerry Torres is a San Diego restaurateur and founder of City Tacos. Jerry, thanks for the conversation and happy Taco Tuesday. Thank you. Likewise. I'll say likewise because I might get charged for it. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Jay, the pleasure. Thank you for very much for having us. Coming up, how so many cultures are putting our local food scene in the spotlight. When somebody comes to San Diego, they're not just coming here for the food scene itself, but it's a jumping off point to real, authentic Mexican experience in Tijuana and Baja de Guadalupe. You're listening to KPBS Midday Edition.
KPBS On Demand is supported by the University of San Diego, offering professional and continuing education courses in the areas of business, education, healthcare, and engineering. For enrollment opportunities, visit pce.sandiego.edu. Welcome back. You're listening to KPBS Midday Edition. I'm Jade Hindman. San Diego has always been known for its sand, surf, and sea, but not so much for its food. But in recent years, however, the stature of America's finest city as a food destination has risen sharply. So much so, in fact, that Food and Wine magazine recently named San Diego one of the top 10 food cities in the country. Someone who's documented much of that food evolution is Troy Johnson, a food writer and chief content officer for San Diego Magazine, and he joins us now. Troy, welcome back. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it was a barren, desert-like few decades for San Diego food, and that's no longer the case. (laughs) I mean, how big of a deal would you say this Food & Wine magazine ranking is? Yeah, it's always great when they pay attention and they realize that San Diego exists. It's huge. And there's a national audience that will look at that national media as a totemic, as as a biblical script of sorts, you know, for their gustatory you know, delights, and they will come here. And, and and it's it's fantastic. You know, it's really, at the end of the day, it's an evolution. It's just a continuation of what was happening in 2019. For decades, San Diego was mostly a tourist destination that didn't have to invest in its food because its sunlight was ever present. You know, and as long as you were eating those mozzarella sticks somewhere near Del Mar Beach or somewhere near Coronado or, you know, somewhere within a roller coaster's ride of the, you know, sun, it was, it was okay. And in the last, I would say, 2019 was the first time that we saw all these national outlets start to send their people out. You know, Michelin started t- kicking tires on San Diego, um, recognizing its existence. Um, James Beard was spending more time down here. LA Times was spending, uh, rev- sending reviewers down. And Esquire came. Vogue did something on San Diego for the first time, I think, ever. You know, and we saw that San Diego was just about to arrive and then obviously the world broke. So it took us a little bit uh, of time to resume the ride. But it's definitely I would never have said that San Diego had arrived as a food scene. I never did until 2019. And that was the first time I said, no, I've been to every almost every other major food city in the country through my job. And it was as just on that cusp of really being the most exciting city. Not New York, not LA, because we don't want to be arrived. The most exciting place to be is where it's almost there. You know, and that's, for me, that's what I love about San Diego. It's It's got enough to be interesting and good in, um, in a top 10 list, but it's not perfectly there and set in stone and getting sterile. Nice. All right. Well, you know, not to found, sound selfish here, but uh, with all of this <laughs> national attention, I mean, is this a bad thing for the locals? Are we about to see longer lines at all of our favorite spots? You know, I think the long lines for San Diego started a few years back, right? It just hastened with the pandemic because then people were working halfway remote and figured they might as well do it somewhere nice. So I think you're going to see a lot more people come to San Diego for sure. I mean, we're seeing obviously an influx of population. Um, I, I have a lot of friends in national media, a lot of friends on Food Network who, you know, are are suddenly finding themselves um, with a vacation plan for San Diego. And I think part of that, I mean, there's so many reasons for that, but I mean, part of that really is the evolution of Baja, 
um, is the evolution of Tijuana as a, as a real cultural destination. Uh, and it's culinary scene, it's chefs down there are amazing. And that you know, influence of ash and lime and wood-fired smoke and spices and long stewed meats and birria has really come up through San Diego. And so when somebody comes to San Diego, they're not just coming here for the food scene itself, but as a jumping off point to real, authentic Mexican experience in Tijuana and Baja and Guadalupe. You know, so you kind of get a two for one. And I, yeah, I think it's just going to get more and more. You know, earlier you you mentioned that San Diego really wasn't so much concerned about food because we had, you know, continuous sunlight. Um, but in recent years, San Diego has really stepped up its food game. What do you think is behind that? Why do you think that is? You know, there's there's so much. There, it's quality parts, right? The, every chef that you'll ever talk to says, I'm only as good as the ingredients that I have. And we have the best ingredients in the world. And that's not jingoistic. That is not, not you know, me just saying, go, go, rah, rah, San Diego. Any chef that you talk to that has worked in New York, that has worked in Chicago, LA, anywhere else, will say San Diego, those local farms, that soil is has the best produce, whether you're talking about Chino or JR Organics or a bunch of these other local farms. We have more small farms per capita in the United States of any county, right? Sure, half of those are decorative flowers, but the rest are growing the world-class food. I talked to Travis Swikert, who was the right-hand man of one of the best chefs in the world, Daniel Balud, for 10 years. And so Daniel Balud would let him buy the best produce in the country. He didn't spend any amount of dollar because that would make his food better, you know? And every time, Travis said, every time he got a box into his kitchen at the Bar Balud, it would say San Diego on the side of the box. And so I, chefs know that once you have pure, great, the best ingredients, you're going to have a better food. Just like if you have better parts, you're going to have a better car. You know, that's one part. Um, you know, beer culture had a lot to do with it, too. You, you, you talk about at the Great American Beer Festival every year, San Diego breweries win thousands and thousands of awards. It's just craft and culture, craft and maker culture, you know, and that sort of pairing with food, they they really posited themselves as a complement to food. So in their gospel, they would say, oh, this pillar pairs well food, they're going up against wine. Well, what food are they talking about? They were talking about San Diego. They were talking about our Mexican food or seafood. And you mentioned food culture. Uh, you know, for a while, San Diego was pretty much only known as a place for good Mexican food when it comes to food. Has that changed? What do you think about that? Convoy, the rise of Convoy is so beautiful. You know, this in the last year, that Convoy getting pan-Asian um, cultural destination um, is was phenomenal. You had first-generation Americans who came over with nothing but a recipe from their family, and they started selling it to friends um, as a way to make a living in a new country that they were just learning. And they hung a shingle in what was really an aeronautical and industrial part of town. And that grew by another shingle, grew by another shingle, and grew by another shingle, and then finally just created this oasis of pan-Asian, you know, food and cuisines that we were seeing on Food Network, you were seeing Anthony Bourdain go to these random places, you know, these far-flung places, excuse me, you see Anthony Bourdain go to these far-flung places and wanting to try those cuisines, and Convoy was it, you know, they had some of those old recipes that people were bringing over from Vietnam, from Thailand, everything else. And our Filipino food, Filipino culture in San Diego is massive. We have one of the strongest communities in the, in the country. But for years, we didn't have it in the restaurants. You know, we had a lot of Filipino chefs who were cooking California cuisine. They're working at, 
you know, French restaurants and learning all those techniques. Well, those kids that grew up in those French restaurants and learned those really fancy techniques then finally turned their attention to the food that they and the cuisines that they grew up with. You look at Teramon Suda anime, you look at Philip Esteban, who's got his white rice concept, which is a Filipino concept, and he's going to be opening up a bigger Filipino concept in his native national city. You know, it's the cultural um, expansion of our food scene has been remarkable and a big part of it. And I've even noticed, you know, East African restaurants popping up as well. Oh, yeah. yeah. Anytime you can eat with injera, you know, which is that, you know, the Ethiopian, you know, or Abyssinian uh, flatbread that you just, you know, pinch and you get your your, your stews. It is such a tactile, beautiful experience. Muzita, you know, it is a classic restaurant in San Diego that's been doing it. And you look over in North Park, there's a great Nigerian population and you can get a lot of, you know, African you know, influences. So you have, you know, you have African restaurants like uh, Muzita, Abyssinian Bistro, has been doing it for years. Beautiful old craftsman home, really, you know, great cultural um, hangout spot. You know, for expats, you know, who can find uh, a bit of home and culture in a restaurant itself, a wash uh, Ethiopian restaurant over North Park, because North Park has a great, huge Nigerian community. You know, it's it's definitely, it's no longer just Mexican. You know, we've really, you know, all the cultures that were here in San Diego maybe didn't have, you know, a place within the business structure over the last 15 years have, you know, made their ways into, you know, actual restaurants and you know, community centers. You're listening to Midday Edition on KPBS. I'm talking with food writer Troy Johnson. Troy, can you talk about some of the standout restaurants in the region that have helped boost San Diego's reputation uh, as a foodie town? One of the ones, obviously, Addison, you know, having got its third Michelin star this year. You know, Addison was a three Michelin star 10 years ago, but Michelin wasn't here. You know, and Chef William Bradley, who's from San Diego, I believe he's from El Cajon. You know, he could have gone elsewhere. You know, he could have gone to New York. He could have gone to Chicago or one of the fancier places with a established food scene, but he stayed here. And, you know, obviously he's at a big resort. And this is a very high, high dollar meal. You know, Addison getting a third star means now San Diego is a destination for a very rare breed of, of food people. If David Bowie was your end-all, be-all, you would spend $900 to get up close and watch that concert. There are people who love food so much that they spend that much money to get up close to some of the best food in the world. And now Addison has been recognized as that. And what the fallout of that is, is that when those people come, and there are people that travel exclusively for Michelin star restaurants, when they come to San Diego, you know, they're going to find Tuatano Taqueria. They're going to find all these little restaurants. They're going to go into Convoy. They're going to go into North Park. They're going to go in to Barrio Logan, you know, that trickle down effect to somebody who is traveling for food is is huge. And you look at Cali, Cali, I have to mention because that was Travis Weikert who came over from Daniel Balud. He trained under the best French chef in the country. He was going to open his restaurant in 2020, then the pandemic hit. Well, that was one of the best things that happened for our food scene because Travis Weikert started meeting all of our chefs, all of our local purveyors, all of our small makers. He gets his lamb from um, a place in City Heights called City Market. He you know, really made all these little connections, these people doing beautiful, small production food. And then he uh, really immersed it into his restaurant when he finally opened up after the bad part of the pandemic really um, subsided. So that has moved our needle intensely. Then Consortium Holdings. San Diego now is known as a 
theme park for restaurants. And I don't say that in a negative way. Some people might. But you look at Consortium Holdings, which has born and raised. They have uh, craft and commerce. And they have light revisions. They have all these speakeasies. They were one of the first in San Diego to do speakeasies. And they created this infant kit. I mean, wild restaurants. It looked like you walked into Etsy. And, you know, or Etsy just, you know, lost its lunch in this space. But it's so inspiring and cool and interesting. You know, they been on every national radar for media companies of the best designs in the country. And that, again, that's a La Jolla high grad who stayed in San Diego and said, I, if I ever leave San Diego, if you ever see me open up a concept in any other city, you will know that I have sold out. So then what's one or even a few of your favorite restaurants here in San Diego? My top five this year, you know, had to be Addison because I got the third star. I mean, you just don't taste food that has been refined with an obsession uh, and such amazing ingredients. It is, it's an other world out of body food experience where you didn't know food could do certain things. It's like watching Cirque du Soleil happen in front of your eyes, except for it's on the plate. Ali would be another one simply because, give you an example of this. When most people serve spot prawns, they get them already dead and put them in their walk-in refrigerator under a damp cloth. Well, that turns them mealy. When Travis Swiker gets spot prawns, and it's very seasonal because they're locally uh, caught, he goes up to Scripps Aquarium and gets salt water and brings it back to his restaurant because it's perfectly calibrated to have the spot prawns live and, and thrive right up until dinner time. And he keeps them, you know, swimming right up until dinner service. So it's fresh and great. And realize that might be a little macabre, but those are the details, you know, that, that make a good restaurant. Kingfisher is another one. Kingfisher over in, in Golden Hill, they have a kanji that is, you know, basically rice porridge with, you know, sautéed mushrooms and spices and fish sauce. And it is one of the most comforting bowls of food in, in San Diego. I do love the reinvention of Mr. A's because handing that off to the new generation who's kind of, you know, taking it a little bit more modern and taking a classic room and giving it new life and making the locals feel welcome in it, you know, is really, for me, I love institutions that are preserved, but also evolved. So that's got to be one as well. Um, Born and raised, the steakhouse, mm -hmm. it's like eating inside Great Gatsby, the novel. You know, it's, it's downstairs, it's, you know, made, it has these ornate pillars made of wood, and they're all made from one felled oak tree. They have photos of, you know, famous rappers that are in these ornate uh, art frames, just like the old steakhouses would have an oil painting of a very refined human being, stuffy as all heck. You know, they have the wrappers there. It's just, you know, there's got to be some of my favorites. And then I, I do have to throw this out. Some of my favorites are the tiny ones too, like Las Cuatro Milpas. Las Cuatro Milpas is, you know, I, that's like now four or five generations of a Mexican family down in the barrio it, just using lard to fry their tortillas live. And when you get like that real lard fried tortilla and a taco, when that taco grease is dripping down your arm, you know, making a raceway, you know, it is unbelievable. You realize you've never had a taco before this moment in time. So before we go, I, I wanted to ask you about an upcoming food and wine festival that you're involved in. I have covered this food scene, and I figured that if I could put all of my favorite local restaurants and chefs, and I'm talking from Mona Lisa up to, you know, the, the best restaurants in San Diego, put them all on the same stage as my Food Network friends and have a big party that's both national and to celebrate local food and drink culture, 
I thought that would be one of the greatest experiences that I could build for the city because doing media, it's all about creating experience, whether you read a story, you know, you see a video or you're you know, experiencing it live or for me, the live is where you really build a community. Anyways, Dunbar Wine and Food Festival. It's in, in September. You know, we have, you know, Artie Sequera is coming down from Food Network, Antonio LaFaso, Bo McMillan, a bunch of my Food Network friends are coming in. We're doing a taste at dinner, a mezcal cooking dinner with Brian Cranston and Aaron Paul, the stars of Breaking Bad at the Lodge Tory Pines with Drew Deckman, who's a Valle chef. You know, we're doing it's it's just an experience of San Diego's food scene with that big spotlight of some of my you know famous chef friends. Anytime they bring their spotlight to any place, it helps illuminate where they're around. And that's the idea is illuminate San Diego's food culture. I've been speaking with Troy Johnson, a food writer and chief content officer for San Diego magazine. Troy, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us. I'm hungry, Jay. Thank you so much. We'd love to hear your thoughts on our show. Give us a call at 619-452-0228. Leave a message or you can email us at midday at kpbs.org. And if you ever miss a show, you can find the Midday Edition podcast on all platforms. I'm Jade Hindman. Thanks for listening. Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year, we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, we've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com.